Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. The influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm June Grosso sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. Well, Russian meddling in the presidential election, the 2020 version. Reportedly, the Russians are trying to help President Trump and Bernie Sanders. The purge continues at the White House as the new personnel director directs cabinet liaisons to target anti-Trumpers. Is Bernie Sanders building an insurmountable lead on Super Tuesday? We'll have all that coming up. President Trump got angry when he learned that intelligence officials told members of Congress that Russia is one again, once again interfering in the American national election process, trying to get President Trump reelected. Trump blamed Joseph McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, for the episode and the failure to inform him. Of course, Mr. McGuire is on his way out, gave his resignation today. Now, the Washington Post is reporting that U.S. officials have told Senator Bernie Sanders that Russia is attempting to help his presidential campaign as well. Joining me in studio in New York is Lincoln Mitchell, political analyst and author. He teaches political science at Columbia University. And Chapin Fay, founder of Lighthouse Advisors, former press secretary to Governor George Pataki and Republican strategist. Lincoln, I'll start with you. What's your reaction to Russian interference part two, or is it a continuing interference? I'm not sure. It is a continuing interference. It is a continuing interference. One of the kind of most, to me, striking stories of the first few years of the Trump administration is how as soon as the Mueller report was issued, the Republicans kept repeating Russia hoax so much that the rest of us kind of got tired of saying, well, it wasn't a hoax, but it wasn't a hoax. And there is no reason from what we've seen of the three-plus years that Trump has been in office to think that he does not have what might charitably described as an inappropriate relationship with the Kremlin, beginning with his campaign. So there's nothing new here. The only thing that is new here is that it managed to be reported out of the Trump administration or some branch of the Trump administration. Did it manage to be reported out, Lincoln? Was It was a, a leak, apparently, or did it come from some of the Democrats who were given the briefing? I don't know. Well. It's, it's hard to tell in this era where it comes from. I mean, the information comes from everywhere. Um, and, you know, I think it's, you know, regardless of what side of the eye you're on, I think we can all agree that Russia meddling is, is always has been a problem and they're going to continue to try and do it. And it's a huge problem and that it needs to be addressed. Um, I don't necessarily agree that uh, Trump has an inappropriate relationship with Russia, but I do think that Russia, um, you know, now there's word that they're helping Bernie Sanders, they're, you know, helping Donald Trump's campaign. It's because any confusion, any, you know, of these headlines and articles, it all helps Russia. And all they want to do is sow discord. So, um, but I, but I do think it's a big problem. And I think that both sides of the aisle, everyone in Congress, everyone in our government needs to be addressing this problem. So the Republicans have refused in the Senate to uh, pass several bills that the 
House presented for election security. So shouldn't they be passing some bills here and spending more money on election security? We have the election coming up very shortly. Well, I mean, having having worked uh, in the House, I mean, just because it's called election security doesn't mean that the bill is actually going to do anything for elections or security. Um, so I think there are some flaws with the bill. I think that, um, you know, both political parties, both the leadership in the House and the Senate understand that this is a problem and they're trying to fix it. That, as you know, the problem with Congress is that, you know, you have an election security bill and they tag on everything else and, and it turns political because elections are inherently political. And that's what makes the gridlock happen. Lincoln, didn't Mitch McConnell, the Senate majority leader, have to be pushed last time he, he gave money to election security? There's no question that we have not sufficiently addressed this problem. What should have happened, what would have happened if the Trump president, President Trump, had actually been concerned about Russian meddling is that as soon as he came into office, he would have set up a bipartisan commission to do something, to look at this and to come out with recommendations which would have built that bipartisan consensus. Because you're right, this is, elections are political and it's very hard to get away from that. And in addition, by the way, we don't have national elections in the United States. We have 50 state elections, but moreover, we probably have a few thousand county elections. So if we really want to address this, we have to rethink our whole election system. So one bill, even if it had been signed into law in, say, I don't know, April of 2019, which would have been about the earliest it could have possibly been done, wouldn't have made that big a difference. This is a big problem. It's not going away. And the thing about Russian interference, and I've seen this in other parts of the world where I've worked as well, is Russia's goal is not just to back a guy who they think might be better for their interests, like Trump rather than Hillary Clinton, or even Trump rather than, say, Marco Rubio or someone like that, just to pick a name in a Republican primary. Their goal is to, as you say, sow confusion and discord, but also doubt. If American citizens believe that their elections are in question because Russia is playing games, Russia wins. And what they're very good at is they no longer even have to be meddling because people think they're meddling. Because now whenever someone, just to pick an example, attacks you on Twitter, you can say, was it a Russian bot? Was it not a Russian bot? And every time every American citizen has that thought, Russia wins just a little bit. So, Chapin, what can be done now? The election is upon us. You know, there was already problems with the Iowa caucus having to do with something different. But what can be done at this point? Well, you know, just to get my shot in, I wouldn't hire uh, Hillary's campaign manager to run any large uh, uh, endeavor like uh, voting in Iowa. Um, listen, there are a lot of things that could be done. And going back to uh, his point on uh, election security, I mean, you brought up, you know, shouldn't shouldn't the Republicans have passed it or shouldn't Trump have passed it? I mean, uh, there are election security uh, ideas on both sides of the aisle. But, you know, you say something like voter ID and it gets called racist. Um, and, you know, but that's also a part of election security. So, well, but voter ID, there's been no proof. And that is one commission that Trump did appoint was a commission on voter fraud. There really is no proof that voter IDs do anything to help election security. And, I mean, I'm not saying that they, they do. I'm just saying that. You know, you can't have a rational debate anymore well, in this era. That's, on, on that's, why, the that's why I is about hacking, a, not that's about why voter a high IDs. level bipartisan commission might build that consensus. In, I mean, we know that the commission that that Trump created was to do two things. Primarily, it was so that he could feel good that he actually won the popular vote, which everyone know he didn't win. And secondly, he could lay the groundwork. Now, you do touch on a second point, which which I think is important, but I don't know if there's political space for it right now. And that is, do we try to bring American elections, again, with this challenge that we don't have national elections, but do, the, do we try to bring American elections up to the standards of what internationally are considered free and fair elections? 
Now, that is, a, that is a subjective question that American policymakers have to wrestle with. When I say internationally, I want to be clear. These are protocols onto which the United States government, under both Democratic and Republican uh, presidents, have agreed upon. So when an election occurs in Armenia, you know, is it up to those standards? We have some criteria. <laughs> just to pick on Armenia, but just as an example, or anywhere else, in Cambodia, anywhere else where, where in the world. And, and a key part of that, key part of that agreement is the job of the government, actually of the election commission, because most have centralized election commissions, not only to keep the election safe and secure, the kind of thing we're talking about, but to make it easier for voters to vote. It is the job to make the ballot accessible, not less accessible. So these are all questions, and that does, for better or for worse, break on partisan lines, and it shouldn't. We should have a consensus that democracy is good, that everyone should be allowed to vote. We should have a consensus that no foreign power, whether it's Russia, Russia, China, Iran, or anyone else, should meddle in our elections. We have to agree on those things. Otherwise, we can't go forward. But right now, politically, I, I don't see it happening. Well, stay with us. We are going to be talking coming up about the latest purge at the White House and the fact that the new personnel director, who was President Trump's old body man, as they say, who was fired in 2018, is now back with a promotion, head of the presidential personnel office. And according to Axios, he called in White House liaisons from cabinet agencies for an introductory meeting yesterday and asked them to identify political appointees across the U.S. government who are believed to be anti-Trump. So are there more departures, shall we say, ahead? I'm June Grasso, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. After three years of ridiculous witch hunts and partisan Democrat crusades, by the way, I think they're starting another one. Did you see that? I see these phonies, these the do-nothing Democrats. They said today that Putin wants to be sure that Trump gets elected. Here we go again. That was President Trump, obviously, at a rally in Las Vegas yesterday, downplaying those reports of Russian interference in the election. I've been talking with Lincoln Mitchell, author who teaches political science at Columbia, Chapin Fay, founder of Lighthouse Advisories, Advisories, Advisors, sorry, got it there, founder of Lighthouse Advisors and Republican strategist. So I want to talk about What's happening in the White House, as far as we know? We know that John McEntee, who was fired by former Chief of Staff Kelly in 2018 as Trump's body man, is now back with a promotion as head of the presidential personnel office. And Axios is reporting that in an introductory meeting yesterday with liaisons from cabinet agencies, he asked them to identify political appointees across the government who are believed to be anti-Trump. I'll start with you, uh, Chapin. I mean, is that a way to start your tenure? I mean, um, you know, of course, it sounds uh, it sounds scary and it sounds not right. You know, it sounds that people use words like purge and um, but, you know, elections have consequences and a government should act, absolutely be able to have people that supports it in the government. Um, I think you're seeing where it becomes a real problem uh, when you have people who uh, oppose everything you do, um, you know, it grinds things to a halt. It makes things more chaotic. 
you know, uh, when you win an election, you get to hire the people that support your agenda, your ideas, uh, and you get to execute and implement them. You know, elections have consequences. So while it sounds bad, I mean, I think, you know, President Trump has every right in the world to have the people he wants to have in the positions uh, at political appointments. That is true. But this is a White House, is it not, Lincoln, where it's sort of a revolving door, especially at the top. There are so many positions that have not been filled. And we see that career people, and I'm talking about the career prosecutors, for example, in the Roger Stone case, who withdrew because of interference from the AG. What about the career people that are there through presidents, through Republican and Democratic presidents? Well, maybe to take a step back. A presidency is to – the success of a presidency is to a great extent determined by the people around – the president surrounds himself with because those are the people that have to do and implement your projects, achieve your goals, pursue your agenda. So in that regard, it is clear. You cannot have people who disagree with you on fundamental issues in your government. And I certainly agree that the president has every right to fire people even if it comes two years later that you see clearly, you know, let's say, for example, they are pursuing – issues that want to pat that want to limit how people can have access to guns and you are a second amendment uh, extremist like like the president okay I, that person might have to get fired what troubles me is coming out of the impeachment acquittal and and frankly this is what the senate republicans gave trump permission and encouragement to do it's it is it's not the kind of the odd left activist somewhere who probably should should go at this point in the trump administration it's the person who is inclined to speak about unethical behavior and dishonesty that they see in the White House. Another word for that is whistleblowers. So, so, so what I'm concerned about is that anyone – people are being fired now not because their politics or their are radically different or because they're even pursuing different policies, but because there's a suspicion that they might tell the truth about what they're seeing. And we saw a little bit of this in the effort – I mean here I want to – maybe this is the distinction. After the impeachment trial, as far as I'm concerned, and I know a lot of Democrats don't agree with me, it's perfectly a right to high fire Anthony Vindman. Anthony Vindman has a different idea about what our policy on Ukraine should be than the president. Okay, that's, that's fine. And I say that respectfully because he did serve his country very honorably. It is wildly inappropriate to have to, to, to march him out of the White House the way they did. And that's the to difference here. To fire his twin brother. And to fire his twin brother, right? That's the difference. It's, you know, Marie Ivanovich, the former ambassador to Ukraine, again, a different vision for what our relationship with Ukraine should be. A different, a core difference on the role Ukraine played in our 2016 election. So maybe she has to go. But the way they berated her and kind of not attacked her physically, but 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 almost threatened her physically, that crosses the line. And 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 bringing in your body person, you know, this is the kind of person that is you you would trust to do those things. So that's where this is troubling. On the policy issue, I don't have a problem. Tell us, Chapin, what is a body person for those who who uh, don't know? Uh, he's a lot of things, but uh, what what he mostly he or she mostly is is the person that's there uh, with uh, the principal, the president in this case, at all times. You know, you need uh, a refreshment, you need someone to carry a bag, you need someone to open a door, you need someone to do you know more substantive things. It's someone you really trust. It's a it's sort of like a personal aid. Uh, for those West Wing fans, it's the uh, Charlie uh, uh, character. Yes, and also Veep fans. Yes. She, yep. <laughs> she asked her body man to do a lot of things that he shouldn't have been asked to do. That's right. I, I would hope your body man is better than the one in Veep. Uh, now I wish I kind of wish I'd seen that show. <laughs> you, it's, it's, you can see I know, the I reruns. I can stream at various places. So, um, let, let, Shabin, let me ask you this. What is the downside to bringing back people who were fired, and he's also bringing back Hope Hicks. Is it a cry for I want people around me who I trust? 
Um, you know, I, I think the real problem is we don't know what it means. Um, you know, it could mean chaos. It could mean he does want someone he trusts. It could mean that Hope did a good job. I mean, I think it, it may have been a little bit more stable uh, under Hope Hicks. Um, she clearly is very good at her job, and the president clearly trusts her. So to have those people around, I, you know, I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you see typically it's across different presidencies, but people in Washington come back in all the time, you know, <laughs> yes. because they, you know, they are trusted advisors. Um, with with President Trump, the uh, the cycle is a little bit more accelerated. Um, but, you know, I, again, I, I don't know if you can read into it because we just don't know. Uh, people are going to read into it for sure. Um, but, you know, again, this goes back to my point. I mean, he if you're the president of the United States, this is regardless of what you think of him, whether you support him or not. This is an important job. This is a stressful job. You, you To Lincoln's point earlier, you can't have a successful functional government without the people that you trust. So, you know, if he wants these people back, that's, you know, that's his prerogative. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the 2020 race, where there's something seemingly happening every day. Has Bernie Sanders created an insurmountable lead for Super Tuesday? What will happen there? And also we'll talk about some of the things happening with the candidates there. Joe Biden is bouncing back, trying to bounce back in Nevada after a rough start, but Money problems, as always. And remember to download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Coming up, we're going to be looking closer at the 2020 presidential election. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Real change only takes place from the bottom on up. Real change only takes place when millions of people stand up and fight for justice. That was Democratic presidential hopeful Senator Bernie Sanders in California today. He was rallying a cheering crowd. He said his administration would make fighting poverty America's top priority and would institute a standard federal minimum wage of $15 an hour across the country. I've been talking with Chapin Fay, Republican strategist, and Lincoln Mitchell. Let's call him a Democratic strategist. Uh, at the, <laughs> he's more of a political analyst. So let's, Chapin, I'll start with you. Bernie Sanders, it seems as if 
March 3rd, one-third of all delegates will be allocated on Super Tuesday. Is that going to be a super, super Tuesday for Bernie Sanders? I mean, I think he has the momentum right now. Um, I think, uh, you know, Mayor Bloomberg is the huge X factor. You know, no one's voted for him yet. Um, no votes have been cast for him yet. And I think, you know, his whole, you know, well, I know, we all know his strategy uh, very openly is to compete on in the Super Tuesday states. So I think there's a chance that he could could t- take the momentum from Bernie. But right now it looks like, you know, Bernie's got the momentum. And I think that Super Tuesday could be a very good uh, day for, for Bernie. States like New York, you know, very progressive. Uh, the people who vote in um, in those primaries are the, the activists. They're the progressives. And, you know, I think they're I think they're voting for a guy like Bernie. So, Lincoln, what does he have to what numbers does he have to get on Super Tuesday to lock it up? To lock it up or yes, to, to, to lock, lock it up? To lock it up of all the pledged delegates after Super by Super Tuesday through Super Tuesday, he's got to get 45 percent, and he won't be there. I would be surprised. I expect him to have more than anybody else. I expect him to have about 40 to 45 percent, so a little bit. I would say 35 to 40 percent of the overall pledged delegates. The things to look for, in my view, are two. One, who ends the day in second place? If that is Bloomberg, then we have a two-person race between the candidates that are probably unacceptable to the largest groups within the party. So that that could be an interesting scenario. If Biden, or just picking Biden, but it could be Warren, whomever else, edges past Bloomberg, then I think the rationale for Michael Bloomberg candidacy, other than that he can continue to spend money and his consultants will continue to want to collect that money, evaporates pretty quickly. The other thing to look at is on Super Tuesday, New York doesn't go, but California does, which is the biggest state, 400 delegates, more than 400 delegates, but 450 delegates. To get on the board in California, you need to get 15% or more. Any candidate who does not break that threshold, and the only ones that I can see are guaranteed to do it right now, are Sanders and Bloomberg. Parenthetically, voting has begun there because of early voting. I know that because my mother, for example, has already voted (laughs) in in California. I won't say for whom, Uh, but she did vote. It was in the Democratic primary. If you don't get that 15% and don't get your bite of California, you're done. You're a fringe candidate. And I know, for example, Amy Klobuchar has gone off the air there. So 8% of the votes in, in California, right, which would be more than three or four states combined, it doesn't matter. You're not, you're not in play. So those are the two things to look for. If, however, again, three or four candidates break that, that means we're going past Super Tuesday with a front runner, but with a lot else in play. Because everyone else is then playing not to get the nomination. No one is going to catch up with, with Sanders, not to get the nomination directly at that point. But what they're playing for is how much weight they bring to what could potentially be a brokered convention. And Chapin, what about – what are your views on can Klobuchar and uh, Warren, Biden and Buttigieg, do they still have a chance? Well, I think to Lincoln's point, I mean, if if multiple candidates uh, are still in the running when you go into a convention, then anyone has a chance, right? Um, you know, stranger things have happened um, on the on the you know the the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth ballots, um, <laughs> right? Uh, exactly. Scary already. I, I, I do uh, I do wonder how Bernie supporters will take that. I do know that you know the DNC is very um, sensitive to how you know charges of it rigging it for Hillary last time. So I think they'll be susceptible to the Bernie bros making a huge fuss if it seems like that's going to happen again. Um, You know, Bloomberg has the money to uh, compete. uh, And, you know, I think they're just going to be 
they're going to they're going to go out of their way to make it look fair and balanced uh, the vote. So uh, I think it's anyone's game. Um, I you know I think Sanders has has a very good shot, and I think. Um, the the real wild card here is, you know, as a Republican, the concern is always that every Democrat is going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is because of the visceral hatred of President Trump. I'm not sure that uh, Bernie is going to uh, make that happen. I don't know if, you know, the supporters of the more moderates, the Bidens, the Bloombergs, if Bernie's the nominee, are they coming out? Are they going to be as excited and as in, as engaged as they would be for Bernie? I just, uh, as someone else, I just don't know. Lincoln? I, w- I would just add a couple of things. As you talked about a potentially broker convention, fourth, fifth, sixth ballots, remember, you don't have to have run to be in the mix there. Well, it, will you explain, just, just take us back for one second, I- explain what, what happens okay, so, technically, so you, the first one. We're having this election now, all these primaries and everything like that. Everyone, when you vote, you're actually voting for delegates. You see the delegate count on television, on the websites and newspapers and all of that. At the convention, those delegates are not check marks. They're actual living, breathing people that are elected to the convention. There is then a vote. If a candidate, according to the rules, gets 50% plus one of those delegates on the first ballot, they're the nominee, and that's what's happened in the past, and then we have a very you know smooth convention. If not, after that first ballot, two things happen. One, delegates do, are no longer have to vote for the person who sent them, right? So now they can negotiate, but... If you control delegates, then you can make, make trade-offs, but you can't guarantee that everyone will vote that way. And secondly, superdelegates come into play. Superdelegates can vote on the second, third, fourth ballot. Now, now, the other thing that we should recognize here is that the Democratic Party couldn't run the Iowa caucus, right? I, I would ask you respectfully, what makes you think that they can run this process? This is, could be a very – there's no precedent for it. They haven't done how to do really in my lifetime. So I'm very concerned about that. I would just add something else about Bernie. Um, Bernie is a socialist the way I'm a Major League Baseball player, right? He is a New Deal Democrat, right? He's also hollers. He also, he's also grumpy. He also – his supporters online can be very vicious. I would temper this term Bernie bros because if he wins in California and Nevada, it's not the Bernie bros. It's the Bernie hermanos who are carrying him over. His, he has a much more diverse coalition than he had last time. It may not be as big, but it is meaningfully more diverse. The question for the centrist, more moderate wing of the Democratic Party is after generations of lecturing the left about how they have to be on board with losers like Michael Dukakis and Al Gore and even Hillary Clinton, are they going to stay home when the left wins one? Now, I'm uncommitted in this. I don't know who I'm voting for, but I I think what you're seeing is that people like Nancy Pelosi, the real heavyweights in the party, the Obamas and the Schumers, are preparing to say to the voters, hey, this is a New Deal Democrat. It's not that unusual. So I think we don't, we don't know that. We also do know that Sanders has a much greater appeal among those magical Obama-Trump voters than any other Democratic candidate in the race. He wins those voters, according to in primary polls. He does much better there. So the potential, you know, I, I, don't, I wouldn't write off anyone as unelectable. In January, excuse me, in December of 2007, it was axiomatic that Barack Obama was unelectable. And in December of 2015, it was equally ax- unelectable, equally axiomatic that Donald Trump was. Well, now, former Senate minority leader or majority leader, actually, Harry Reid, said he thinks that Bernie Sanders will tack to the middle if he wins the Democratic nomination, despite all evidence to the contrary. He is a millionaire after all. 
Well, right. The Democrats have uh, don't have a problem. They only have a problem with they don't have a problem with money to the extent that it's not of degree, right? They have a problem with billionaires, but they don't have a problem with millionaires. Well, Bernie um, used to have a problem with millionaires. Well, right. And when <laughs> when Bernie's a billionaire, he's not going to have a problem with billionaires. But uh, when is one, Bernie going to be a billionaire? I don't know. Um, Few more books down the road. Right. But so the only thing I would disagree with is that I, I just don't think you can walk back uh, Bernie Sanders uh, being a socialist. He, he has called himself a socialist. The ideas that he is espousing um, are socialist ideas. Um, some of them are, you know, more centrist, progressive ideas for sure and, and where, where the Democratic Party is. But I just don't think you can walk that back. So he can try to run to the middle, but I just don't think that's going to be believable. And, you know, that's another reason, you know, I think <laughs> President Trump is going to be reelected because people just don't respect that. You know, that was one of Mitt Romney's problems. He was clearly going to say and do anything it took to get elected. And I don't think voters, you know, American voters don't don't respect that. And I don't they will respect Bernie if he stands up for what he believes in and runs to the left. All right. Coming up, we're going to be talking about the top stories of the week. And Michael Bloomberg, who is seeking, obviously, the Democratic presidential nomination, is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. I'm June Grasso. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Roger has a very good chance of exoneration, in my opinion. Roger, of course, is Roger Stone, President Trump's longtime friend and campaign advisor who was sentenced to more than three years in prison by a federal judge on Thursday after much political turmoil and legal drama uh, the week before, a whole week about. Uh, I've been joined by Lincoln Mitchell. He is a political analyst who teaches political science at Columbia University, Chapin Fay, founder of Lighthouse Advisors and Republican Strategist. So this week, and it took about, it was about a week of political turmoil with William Barr intervening in the sentencing recommendations, the four prosecutors in the initial team resigning from the case, President Trump repeatedly tweeting and even live tweeting during the sentencing. And then he has said he has hinted at a pardon, but said he thinks he could be exonerated and he's going to wait. This to me... Lincoln was much ado about nothing because the judge came down with a middle of the road sentence, which most observers, legal observers, thought that would be the exact range she'd be in. So why all the hubbub from Bill Barr? Well, the words middle ground compromise are, are concepts with which our president is not exactly deeply familiar. He has to win and destroy his opponents or he's going to lose. And Roger Stone is his guy. Not sure why at this point, but he's his guy. And he wants Roger Stone to walk. But going into an election, which in Trump's mind is always going into an election, he has to keep signaling that there's a deep state conspiracy out to get me. And if Roger Stone fits into that narrative, that's where Donald Trump is going to put him. So that's how I see this. Chapin, do you think that too much was made of the Roger Stone case? I mean, also, what do you make of those high profile uh, clemency pardon grants that Trump did just a few days ago? Well, if you can pardon Rod Blagojevich, you can certainly pardon Roger Stone, right? Um, you know, he sold a Senate seat. Roger was just, you know, lying to Congress, um, which 
we can talk about the irony there uh, and hypocrisy there later. Uh, different different. Well, subjects, also but... witness t- witness tampering yes, was yes, where yes. the judge really yep. uh, honed in. And also, he had the judge. It's on social media. He had the judge in crosshairs at the beginning of the trial, which yep. was not a good move. No, no, and you know that's why there was a gag order because you know if if Roger can be counted to do something, it's uh, it, it's that. Um, I do think mu- too much was made of it. You know, this in the Trump era. You know, this is this is what happens when you you can't get the principal and you sort of are going for the peripheral guys like Roger Stone, uh, and everyone gets all excited. And you know, in the social media reality TV show era, um, you know, you can't have just uh, a, a legal jury trial and that be the end of it. You have to have all this hyperbole um, and everything. But you know, Roger committed crimes, and now he's going to you know pay the price. And again, if the president wants to pardon him, that's the that's certainly the president's prerogative. I think uh, most legal analysts agree that it is very unlikely that Roger Stone is going to spend any time behind bars because if that seems to happen, the judge has put off his turning himself into prison until after she hears motions about a new trial. And then I think if it ever comes to pass that he's ordered to prison, President Trump will step in. He certainly set the groundwork for it. Well, now let's look ahead. What's on your radar this week, Lincoln? Well, I'm looking at at two things. One is Nevada, uh, Nevada caucus is tomorrow. Nevada, I'm told the caucus is tomorrow. And we can, I think we're expecting a win for Bernie Sanders. If that doesn't happen, that would really shake up this race. The thing I'm looking at is who comes in second. If Elizabeth Warren, you know, doesn't come in second, that leads us to believe what what consensus was, was a great debate. But if she can't turn it into a second place finish, that's not good. If she does, if, if Joe Biden comes in second, then he comes in second, and then next week wins South Carolina, and he goes into Super Tuesday with that comeback kid narrative that the media loves so much. So in Nevada, it's not a question of who comes in first, but watch who comes in second. All right. On your radar, Chapin? Uh, similar. Um, you know, in, in Nevada, we're going it, to – it's a much more diverse electorate uh, than we have seen. So I think some of the candidates who are um, saying that's their strategy, like Joe Biden, says his support in uh, the black community is high. Um, you know, we'll see that. Also, unions – there's a very, very strong union presence in the Nevada Democratic um, contest. So we'll see if they're fully behind Bernie or if, like uh, Lincoln said, you know, I think the second the second place winner is the person to really watch. Now – if Joe Biden does not win, out and out win South Carolina, is he done for? I think he's pretty close to done for now. Uh, but yeah, so I think if he doesn't, uh, you know, I, if he if he comes in second, you know, he's engendered a lot of goodwill in the party. He was Barack Obama's, uh, who was his historic presidency, uh, vice president. I think if he comes in second, he could probably limp along for a little while longer. Um, but I think it means he's not going to win the win win the nomination. But could he win? Uh, Third or fourth ballot, in, in a in a brokered convention. Yes, sure. Uh, if he wh- lasts, if he can, if he has the he money to last, he that doesn't long. need to. He doesn't need to. If, as you say, he finishes, say, second in South Carolina, he is effectively done. Whether he stays in the race or not is is moot. Mm. The question at that point is not can you pick up an extra three or four or even 30 or 40 delegates before the convention. The question is can you do the back room stuff and engender enough goodwill so that you're the place the party lands. And for Biden, that would be very simple. Can you make uh, – can, can you build the relationship with the Bernie people so that if that's where the party goes, they're going to be OK? That's going to be the key to coming out of a second, third, fourth ballot for anybody. And speaking of that, can the Bernie people build coalitions? Can they make nice to get more delegates on their side? There's no evidence of that at this point. Uh, <laughs> 
to be yep. quite honest. I mean, he's going to have to. He's going to have to try. Um, but there's just no evidence of that. I mean, they're 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 angry bros. And if it doesn't go for Bernie, you know, I'm going to enjoy sitting back and watching on the other side of the aisle. Yeah, I have a there's, question, a separate question, for, and I'll, I'll throw it to you, Lincoln. What, Bernie is not releasing his medical records. Where's the transparency? And he's releasing letters from doctors. He just had a heart attack. This is troubling for me. Let me just be clear. I mean, I wish all of these older people in the race, uh, Bloomberg, Trump, Biden, Sanders, a long life and and good health. How I want them to spend their lives, some of them in the White House, some of them perhaps in other confined situations, that's a different question. But I, I wish the best on all of them. They're, on the other hand, I'm not all that concerned about their personal health. If, if Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders or Michael Bloomberg has a health problem, their vice president will take over. We know that when we go into the voting booth. I am concerned about the lack of transparency. It's another norm that's being broken. And to excuse it away for Bernie, kind of the left-wing populist, because uh, Trump didn't do it, or to excuse away Michael Bloomberg not releasing his taxes because Trump didn't do it, this is damaging. These norms are important. So from that perspective, I'm troubled by it. From the other perspective, I don't care. Now, I do, do want to say that Michael Bloomberg has has said that he's getting those taxes together, and we can imagine that they're very complicated taxes. We, but we have heard he has, that. I presumably has taxes from previous years he could release, though. I mean, that's... All right. And let me just say once again that Michael Bloomberg is the founder and majority owner of Bloomberg LP, the parent company of Bloomberg Radio. About a minute here, Chapin. What bothers you? <laughs> About what? A lot of things. A lot of things. I'm a New Yorker. A lot of things bother me. Is it non-disclosure agreements? Is it uh, Bernie Sanders not releasing his? uh, We know that with New Yorkers, what what bothers me is that the city has gotten very dirty. Yeah. Well, so uh, first thing I will say is I would love to have a clash of the New York Titans, Donald. You know, billionaire Titans. I think that would be uh, very fun to watch. I don't know. uh, uh, Well, whether it'll be good for the country, but it'll be fun to watch. Um, What bothers me is sort of building on on what Lincoln was saying earlier: is that um, the hypocrisy. Um, you know, when Trump does something, when President Trump does something, it's the end of the world. Everyone's head explodes and, you know, the republic is going to fall off a cliff. When Bernie Sanders does the same thing, uh, it's OK. It's, you know, he has very good reasons for it. You know, it's the, the, the we have to take out Trump. I think you Trump. see it's, some heads exploding, but no uh, one who's probably not a Bernie quietly supporter right thinks now. It, no, no, only, only, the Bernie, only the Bernie supporters think it's OK that he hasn't released his medical records. I think there's a consensus that it's not OK. All right. Well, Fair you enough. have the last word. Or you do. I don't know which it was. <laughs> thanks, thanks to both of you. That's Lincoln Mitchell. He teaches political science at Columbia University, author and political analyst and Chapin Fay, founder of Lighthouse Advisors and Republican Strategist. I'm June Grosso, sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. And remember to download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.